Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome to Against the Stream, Wednesday night. My name is Jason Murphy, and uh, this is the night that I teach the Dharma. Um, hey there. Yeah, we're going to meditate for a bit, and uh, a few more people might pop in either live or on the Zoom. And is there anyone new, anyone new to the... Uh, the group or new to the center that wants to introduce themselves just say who you are where you're from if you're on the zoom just unmute yourself for a moment hi i'm stephanie and um i've meditated with no before but not with you all right welcome thanks for coming in on a wednesday night (laughs) anyone else I see someone unmuted themselves. Do you want to say something? No. All right. That's okay. No pressure. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and do a little meditation. So I'm assuming um, there's not really a lot of new people. And let's go ahead and uh, Find a posture that's workable, that's sustainable, and I'm going to give some instruction, but um, not not a whole lot. I feel like uh, most people here have grounded themselves in some form of practice. And the main thing is that, you know, to stay as present as possible with what's happening in your current experience, uh, whether that is pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And when the mind wanders off, because it's gonna, you know, just acknowledging and with a sense of friendliness, or a sense of kindness, aiming the attention back. That's pretty much the instruction. So, um, yeah, so f- just settling in. Welcome. making any kind of subtle changes or adjustments to the body. and then, you know, resting in a posture that's workable, sustainable, helpful to allow the eyes to close or be downcast. An opening to the comings and goings of sound. Sounds outside the room, 
sounds inside the room, the bell, So resting in this present time experience, breath and body, helpful to aim the attention towards the experience of breathing. I say the experience of breathing because it's not breathing itself. That's happening all on its own. But actually where we can make contact with it, where we can most easily recognize or connect to the experience. The breath moving in and out, the lungs filling, expanding, contracting, tip of the nose, warmth, cool, rise and fall of the belly, and any or all of these experiences. Some people kind of take an overall awareness of the body breathing, so the feeling of the kind of shoulders slightly rising and falling, or whatever makes sense to you. And if you find that the mind is extremely busy, just note that busy mind and then come back to the experience of breathing. With a sense of friendliness or kindness. The mind thinks. It's not going to stop thinking. It's been doing it all day. That's all right. 
there's nothing worth paying attention to that's happening in the mind right now. Just see if you can rest the attention in the body, the experience of breathing. Sometimes it's helpful to give the mind a job. So using some simple language connected to the breath. Breathing in calm. Breathing out alert. trying to really simplify the language. And then whenever we 
recognize that the attention has wandered off. Again, with that sense of friendliness or kindness with the mind, aiming the attention back. the sensations of breathing. Allowing sounds and thoughts to just be in the background of the attention.
again and again. Recognizing what's happening here. Has the attention wandered off? Is there some story we've fallen into? Has the attention been carried away with some type of emotion leading to mental fabrication? So just acknowledging what's present And then gently, without any judgment or criticism, aiming the attention back. This breath, this sitting, breathing body, and then sustain that attention for as long as possible.
the invitation to smile, bring a little bit of joy into that reconnection, into the reestablishment of mindfulness with the breath. Oh, you've come back. Even like try to do a little bit of a smile, upturning the lips, gladdening the heart. Of course the mind wanders off. Like a stray puppy, not yet trained. You don't beat the puppy. Gently remind it. Consistently, kindly, with some warmth.
Once the mind has been tamed, once mindfulness and some concentration has been established, we can begin to investigate what's happening here. What's in the mind right now? What's happening in the heart or the emotional body? <coughs> what can be known?
So that happened. And just to kind of, if you haven't already, kind of reflect for a few moments on what was that like? What was that last 30 minutes like? Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, busy ass mind, bored as fuck. Emotional, peaceful, easeful, scared, whatever it was. And then acknowledge that too, because it's always changing. Any uh, questions about the practice, about the instruction? before I get into the tonight's topic. And if you're on Zoom, you can raise your little hand, I think, in the participant or in the... I'm not actually sure where it is. Under reactions is what I have it under. Please. Do you have uh, a listening mic? I don't do a lot of meditation when there's ambient noise. Uh huh. It's kind of interesting experience for me. And Where are you in a isolation chamber? Uh, at home, it's just quieter at home. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I first became aware of it listening to the podcast, right? And then ended up doing meditation or something I would do personally. Uh huh. I find that. I have an easier time being in the present for that part of it, but when the instruction turns to uh, what am I actually feeling, you know, my body, my heart, right? then I'm going to have a harder time mm. with that. I'm just curious what your experience is about making that shift between meditating well through quiet and then here and oh, oh. the present. Like it's le externally louder, so you have less kind of awareness of what's. Awareness oh, oh, yeah. But at the same time, it's the monkey mind is quieter. Uh -huh. So at home, it's a lot of chatter in here. Uh -huh. uh, so yeah, I was curious what. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it's probably I don't I don't totally know. I mean, I don't know what goes on in your mind, right? Uh, just what you've told me. And it, it's probably you're more used to, you know, the surroundings where you're regularly meditating. Um, and there's a little bit more kind of external focus because there's more, you know, the sounds and the, I mean, it's, you know, it's fucking noisy here. And so when it's noisier outside, it maybe sometimes is quieter inside. And when it's, quieter outside sometimes it's noisier inside right um and sometimes it's noisy outside and noisy inside you know uh, but there's usually some kind of respite i remember i was at this one <laughs> i was at this one monastery i went to it because i was going to get enlightened you know i was like i'm in thailand on with my backpack and i was gonna like go to this monastery and it was gonna all happen it's the same monastery where i was talking about obsessing about uh writing emails to my teacher a few weeks ago um and it was a it was outside of the city so it wasn't like a busy city monastery 
but there was um, like trucks coming and going. So I went there thinking it was my first monastery experience. I went there thinking, oh, I'm going to get, it's going to be like quiet in the forest, all peaceful. There was fucking construction going on and like all these Thai dudes like yelling, packs of wild dogs fighting in the middle of the meditation, like, you know, kind of quad area every day. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And um, it was, I was very externally focused. And then eventually, you know, it just kind of faded in the background. And so part of it, I think, is also it's, it's you know, it's getting used to and adjusting to new experiences. And I actually feel like, uh, and Noah talked about this not that long ago, I feel like it's, it's, it's important to meditate um, in real life. You know, and I'm, I'm actually, I was, I was super agitated at first in this monastery and, um, and then it just kind of like, you know, it just kind of shifts and it sounds like you're saying a little bit about that too. I, I think it just has to do with what you're, what you're, you're used to, but it's a good to actually meditate in different places, you know? Um, and there's this story that I heard, thus have I heard, right? It's a Buddhist storytelling beginning. This uh, older man, he was cl- close to retirement, and he had worked his whole life, and he want, you know, was, he was an avid meditator, but he was like, like lived in the busy kind of city, and he wanted to really, you know, hunker down his meditation. So he bought a little cabin up in the woods, like Idlewild, right? He bought a little cabin in Idlewild, and he was like, you know, I'm going to go to this cabin and it was like the kind of cabin where you have to park and then you have to like walk like a quarter of a mile. Uh, this is a real person, by the way. And um, they, uh, he, he went to the cabin and he was like, you know, I'm going to, it's going to be peaceful and quiet and solace. And I'm going to really like, you know, drill down on my meditation. And, you know, he got there and, the, you know, the fur, you know, packed in his food. He was going to stay there for a while. And there was, it was sparse, you know, like a bed and a chair and, you know, like a little bench outside and, like, you know, simple. And, um, and there was a little brook. There was a little creek that kind of went along the left side of the house and tree, you know, trees all around. So it was really well shaded. And he was very happy when he first got there. He was like, oh, this is so great. It's going to be so great. And then the first day, uh, or first few days, actually, as he was, the way he was describing it, meditation was, you know, it was like so different because it wasn't the city, it wasn't the horns and the this and the that. And he would hear a bird and he'd hear the brook and, you know. And then, um, actually, that's not true. It was actually, it was the first day, that's what he was experienced with. And then the second day and the third day, it's increasingly got more agitated. And it was like the birds were like squawking. They weren't like peaceful. They were like blue jays, you know. You know, you ever heard of blue jay squawk, right? And then the the stream that the first day was like serene and peaceful. It sounded like a like a, just a babbling brook, like a waterfall. He was like, and it was so loud and it was annoying me. And then he stuck stuck with it for a little while. He was thought about leaving, you know, this is, this is worse than being in this city, you know, I don't even have good food, you know, like on my cell phone, like there's nothing here. And, uh, and then he stuck with it a few more days and then it all just kind of got quiet again as he began to make peace 
with, you know, his environment. And then he had, you know, some, some insights. And, so as he was telling the story, you know, he was very animated. I remember him talking about this uh, experience that he had. So take with that what you want. Um, but I, I feel like it's useful to meditate in different uh, environments, you know, a city life and serene and in the sun and the beach and the cold. Um, Because what really matters is where's the peace that we can arrive within, you know. Um, there's this quote from the Buddha. To search for stable ground is burning, meaning suffering. To not need it is freedom, is enlightenment. To search for stable ground is burning. To not need stable ground or stability is freeing. I don't even know if those two things connected, but they connected in my mind. <laughs> Helpful? I don't know. I was trying not to be too zen about it. So. It'll pass. Anything else? About out there. All right. I'll open up for some questions in a little bit. I've been working through. Um, oh, Stephanie, do you have something you want to say? Oh no, I was going to say that I totally agree. Like this is the first time that I've actually meditated in my house and done a Zoom. Uh huh. It actually is really cool because it's changing my relationship to my home environment in a way mm -hmm. i feel like different vibe in my house <laughs> it's nice thank you. yeah yeah well thank you thanks for showing up doing that all right so i'm going to shift uh, a bit and move to <clears throat> talk more about a particular topic. So I've been going through the Four Noble Truths, which are, you know, the basic teachings of the Buddha, or not the basic, they're actually super fucking profound. But they're simple. The, the foundational teachings of the Buddha, which are known as the Four Noble Truths. And, you know, um, Ajahn Sumedho, or Longpur Sumedho, who some of you are studying and listening to his talks, you know, I once uh, was sitting with him uh, in, in, on a retreat, and every night of a 10-day retreat, he, told, he gave one teaching about the Four Noble Truths. Every night, right? This is this, you know, wise, been meditating for a fucking billion years. I don't even know. I mean, eight, he's like 80-something, so uh, he was probably in his 20s when he, when he um, I think he's 88, and he's, he's in his 20s when he... Uh, became a monk so long time it's been a teaching monk for a long time and every night he would give the same talk and like the third night somebody it wasn't me it was actually somebody else asked you know uh it was actually a young novice monk asked 
Like, um, you know, what's the significance or what's the reason that you're, you know, uh, talking about the same thing? And he just kind of simply kind of, in a nonchalantly said, you know, if there was one teaching that you could study your whole life, it would be the Four Noble Truths. And that's it. And then he kept talking about it. <laughs> because, you know, so that's what I'm doing. I'm talking about the Four Noble Truths. The First Noble Truth, there is suffering in this world. There is suffering in this life. Most of us already know this. We're acutely aware of the suffering. We call it many different things, stress or dissatisfaction. Or... The word dukkha uh, means a wheel out of round. So like if you think about the old, like in the days of oxen pulling carts, and if you had a wheel or like the wagon, covered wagon days, you had a wheel that was like flat, it would go ka-thump, ka-thump, ka-thump. So it was wheel a wheel out of round, you know. Um, or if it wasn't aligned, it would be wobbly and it would cause, you know, like in the, you ever go to the, you know, the grocery store and you get that one wheel that's like doing that weird thing and it's really annoying, you know. Dukkha, suffering. <laughs> that's, that's a way that it's described. A wheel that's out of round. And that there's a certain level of dissatisfaction that we experience because of that. Of course, the second noble truth being uh, what's called tanha or craving. And um, craving is like also thirst or... Um, Grasping, attachment. So the suffering is caused by the grasping or the craving to have things or to want things to be other than they are. Right? So really, in essence, the kind of inability to just accept things as they are. I don't totally love that, like, accept things as they, as they are as like the solution because then see we're so fucked up that we like you know then we'll take that and be like oh okay like me uh, us meaning like buddhists right i see people that are so buddhist that they're like i can't have i, I just have to accept everything the way that it is and there's some truth to that it's called equanimity but it doesn't mean that we're that we're disconnected from or avoiding the suffering of reality there's a certain level of suffering. We see it every day, every day. We may experience it every day. And when we can come to the recognition of, oh, this is suffering, acknowledge it, recognize it, and then loosen our grip on whatever it is that we're trying to control usually, right? Or make happen or not accept then this is, you know, the kind of release of suffering. But it doesn't mean to just accept, you know, accept that racism, oh, racism exists. Like, oh, I'm sorry, nothing I can do about it. You know, it just is, you know. Homelessness exists, poor people exist, 
molestation exists, you know, just the whatever the, you know, there's some things you want to like, well, actually, the, I'm, I'm not okay with that. Like, that's not acceptable. And this is actually where the, it's not just about this kind of dis, you know, uh, unattached kind of, you know, I'm just an ethereal being floating through the universe, you know. No, no, we're living here in this planet, in this life, you know. And uh, uh, doing good in the world, being engaged in the world, is very useful. Is very useful. Now, we don't, what causes the most of the stuff, like we, so we can care, do the thing, you know, to help feed the homeless, work for an organization, you know, support people in your life, you know, support change, uh, look at your own privilege, your own white privilege, your own, you know, wealth or identity or, you know, whatever is going on. Identify it for yourself and do what you can. And that this is coming out of ignorance. And then not be attached to the outcome. You know, um, you know, people used to talk about world peace all the time. It was like a big thing. When I was growing up, right, in the 80s, it was like threat of nuclear fucking holocaust, right? That was the 80s, you know. That was Reagan for me, right? Like there was duck and cover. There was like these little like, what's going to happen if there was a nuclear holocaust? If, you know, Soviet, if the Russians put do this and then we do this and then there's all these missiles. I remember seeing all of these like images of like, and then this is what would happen if star, if the missiles all, they all, and then we would just all be decimated. I'm like 10 years old going, well, fuck, why should I care about anything? You know, I'm going to pop acid and drink this bottle of fucking tequila, you know, because I didn't care. So it's not that, right? But it is letting go of the, you know, the outcome of what happens. So we do what we can. I got off on a little tangent. Second noble truth, the clinging, the craving. <laughs> right? But not being so like in the letting go. So the third noble truth is the cessation of suffering. The cessation of suffering is possible. This is the teaching of the Buddha. And then this is um, kind of basically the, the way that the Buddha talked about it. There is the cessation of suffering. This is like, so that first it's in there, they're all on the same trajectory. This, there, there is the acknowledgement of suffering. There is the cessation of suffering. So we need to recognize that, see it, acknowledge it. We can, and you've all experienced it already. You've experienced suffering and the freedom from suffering. And I'm not talking about like just being like happy for a moment or for, you know, because you got something or you ate something or you were with someone or you got the, not that conditional external stuff. Because that comes and goes and it's, you know, sometimes it feels good and sometimes it doesn't. But the internal contentment that comes when we're able to kind of, what this practice is hopefully teaching us, when we're able to kind of, you know, just kind of sit back and recognize and observe and allow what's happening in, our, in this life. 
and following the precepts to the best of our ability and seeing that, oh, there's a joy that comes from that. I have this um, little plaque that sits above my, my, my laptop um, in my office. And it says, may I live blamelessly and at ease, which is pretty much my mantra. If I had a mantra, that would be it. May I live blamelessly at, and at ease, which is in essence, it's a direct quote from the Buddha um, saying, you know, this is the cessation of suffering, to live blamelessly and at ease, and that this is possible. So the, the, the first insight around this third noble truth is that there is a cessation of suffering. It's possible. That the cessation of uh, dukkha, you know, or suffering should be realized. Right? So then that's the direct insight of, oh, I am not suffering right now. Like how often are you like tuned in? We're usually pretty tuned into, I'm fucking suffering right now. But how often are we tuned, tuned into, I'm not actually suffering right now. It's actually a moment of non-suffering, you know. And then the, the third insight is the cessation of dukkha has been realized. You know, dukkha meaning suffering. So this is the third noble truth. The whole aim of, you know, the Buddha's teaching is to develop the reflective mind, you know, in order to let go of delusion. And that's what we're doing here. Developing a reflective mind. And so that whole practice of, you know, sound and even just the recognition, like you were, uh, what was your name again? Josh. Josh. Like you were saying earlier, Josh, like even just the recognition of, oh, wow, it's, I'm, it's different than it is when I'm at home. It's different than when I'm, you know, uh, on Zoom, right? Just the recognition of that. It's reflective. Great. You're doing it right. And then not getting caught up in the, you know, what happens? I mean, you know, sometimes I'm talking and then the, you know, the Harley starts or whatever. And I like the sound of a Harley. Actually, it's got a good exhaust system. You know, I actually, I like the rumble of it. Um, and yet, you know, sometimes I'm in the middle of saying something and I have to like pause, you know. And then sometimes I check, like, am I suffering about this? You know, sometimes I, I, I am. You know, maybe not suffering, but uh, disturbed by it. Anyway, the, uh, the Four Noble Truths, you know, is a teaching about letting go of this craving, this wanting things to be other than they are, and then investigating or looking into or contemplating, you know, why is it like this? Why is it this way? And just seeing for ourselves. This is the, the way of kind of saying, you know, no one can, re, you know, remove the suffering from you, you know. I put a, a post on Instagram earlier uh, about this group and, you know, my, my uh, this, just this group, you know, I'm trying to like be more post um, friendly or whatever. And I, and I was like, uh, who causes your suffering? Yeah, you know, it's just like a question. You know. And this is a key component 
of Buddhism. For us to be able to kind of recognize that it's not them, whatever the them are, you know. And it's just so strange, even just the them, us and them, me and you, or, you know, I like, I think us and them fits better. Um, because then there's that separation, and then there's the blame, right? And it lacks taking the responsibility. Oh, wait, if I am the cause of my suffering, I'm also the cessation of my suffering. The same mind does the same thing on either side. Oh, I'm generating judgment and criticism and separation and hate, and I'm staying deluded. And the same mind, once tamed, once investigated, once reflected upon, kind of like, you know, the guy that, that went up to the cabin, right? It was like he had this intention, and he got there, and they all went to shit. You know, nothing changed in his environment, right? Same thing with when I was at that monastery. I went in there with a certain expectation of the way I thought things should go. And then the fighting dogs and the construction and the, you know, people, you know, the trucks backing up with that big, you know, garbage truck sound, you know. Um, and then a few days later, it just all kind of evened out. And I want to tell another further kind of, story about that you know i i had a horrible time at this monastery right? and i left early i was supposed to be there for 22 days and i left 16 days in and um i had a horrible time and 15 years later it's stuck with me the abbot of the monastery his name was ajan chaiwut and um he wasn't the he was the second abbot he wasn't the like head of the monastery. The head of the monastery that spoke perfect English was off at a con at a conference somewhere, some like Buddhist conference, right? When I showed up, you know. So Ajahn Chaiwut, who looked like he used to be a Thai boxer, he was like kind of like a little bit beat up. He had like a knot in his head, you know, kind of rough and tumble guy. Huge smile, spoke like four words of English, mm -hmm. you know. And he actually probably spoke, spoke a little bit more of that, but he was maybe a little bit like uh, shy or, or, or whatnot and not confident in his English for sure. And every second day for the 16 days, I would go and I would talk to him. Right? And I had an interview and sometimes there was a translator, which was a, a slightly better English trend, you know, speaker than uh, Ajahn Chaiwood. Right. And, you know, it didn't matter what I said to him. I would say, like, oh, this thing's happening in my mind, or all these dogs, and da, da, da. And he would just smile, and he would just say, acknowledge. <laughs> it's the only word he said to me in 16 days. He would just smile, and he would just say, acknowledge. And I would be like, no, man, you don't understand. You know, and I wasn't actually that, because I was, like, in my monastery, like, I'm a good Buddhist, you know? So I was, like, very poised. But in my mind, I was like, no, you don't fucking understand. These dogs, you know. So I left after 16 days. I was like, 
I, I, I can almost remember, I like journaled about it. So it's like in my journal somewhere where I was like, that's it. I've had enough. And I had had some insights and the practice was good. And there was, you know, there was a lot of things, but I had just decided I was going to leave early. I was going to go to a different monastery, one farther out of the city you know, like, where the monkeys would attack me, you know, and, um, and I'm on the train going like back towards Bangkok and, um, and I was acknowledging everything that was happening. The rumble of the train, the person that was walking by outside of my car, the, the, you know, the trees, when it would stop, the sound. I was just acknowledging everything and felt pretty damn good. And so always, like, I, that, I mean, to me, that's, that was the most powerful instruction that I received. Ajahn Chai Wood. Just acknowledge what's happening in your experience, you, you know, and, and then if you're having an unpleasant experience, acknowledge that it's unpleasant. Well, if, it's, if it's pleasant, acknowledge that it's pleasant. When it's neutral, acknowledge that it's neutral. Just to acknowledge what is happening. This is really what the Buddha wants us to do. My uh, shifting now to more of a psychological view, um, I believe that all the Buddha's teaching, like the essence of the Buddha's teaching is to say, when shit's happening, know that it's happening. And don't turn from it and don't run from it and don't avoid it. Because if you do, it's going to carry you to the next moment. It's going to stay with you. You know, think about how much, I mean, I work with people psychologically and in therapy and in recovery, you know, all day, just about every day. And the, the, the thread that runs through just about everyone that I work with is suppression or repression of certain feelings, certain memories, certain experiences. And, the, and then the longer that you know, people go and maybe you know, stuffing it with drugs and alcohol too doesn't always help. But um, without talking about it, without getting it out, without letting it out. It just builds and grows, turns into a fucking monster, right? And so the Buddha is saying, and that's also what we call negative karma, you know? So, so uh, the Buddha is basically saying, when something's happening, know that it's happening. And when it's unpleasant, know that it's unpleasant. And know that it'll pass. That's the beauty of impermanence. And when something's pleasant, know that it's pleasant. Allow it to be there. Stress, fear, joy, sadness, fucking heartbreak, ecstasy, you know. And then in the next moment, clean. May I live blamelessly and at ease. I'm not carrying anything. I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. You know, I'm just, this is, this is my interpretation of, you know, what I think the essence of Buddhism is from a psychological perspective. Get clean. Don't carry it with you. You know, you know monks are allowed to carry one bag and one bowl. That's it. 
They pack light. They have two robes. You know, it's important to reflect on that as a teaching, and that these teachings have been passed down from generation to generation, and that that sometimes what we need to do is to renounce, you know, to renounce some of our attachments, because it's just causing suffering anyway. You know, and that doesn't mean like give all your money away. I mean, if you want to, I mean, you can. It's up to you. But it does mean like that, like see what we're attached to. I used to be really attached to my like identity of like being, you know, whatever. Being a teacher, being a therapist, being a fucking gangster, being a drug addict, being a, you know, being an ex-con. Like I had all these... You know, these, you know, this is who I am. And I was super attached to it. And it was causing me suffering. Just like when I went to the monastery, I had this view of what it was going to be like. And having never been, I just saw on the website. It's called Northern Insight Meditation, if you ever want to go. Ajahn Chai Wood's probably still there. You know, he may be like older now. Maybe he knows a few more words, but he might still just give you a knowledge. But the, uh, the, the view that I had going in about what it was going to be like, and then when reality came up against it, I was suffering. I was suffering. And he was basically just saying, acknowledge that you're suffering, man. Like, I, like you know, in, in my tr- translation later on. And it was a beautiful teaching of just what the Buddha's intention is. See it for what it is. Know that it'll pass. Allow it, allow it to pass. Cessation of suffering is possible. And even if it's just a moment, recognize, oh, this is the cessation of suffering. Thich Nhat Hanh calls it the untoothache. Thich Nhat Hanh is a, uh, a, a Zen meditation master. He calls it the untoothache. We're really acutely aware when we have a toothache. We're generally not aware of our teeth at all, barely, you know, when we're not having a toothache. So sometimes the discomfort that comes up in our meditation, in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies, uh, it can be a blessing because it makes us acutely aware of what's going on. You know. Let's see, what else was I trying to, what else was I trying to say? So rather than just, oh, oh yeah. So paying attention to the beginning and the ending of things is useful in, I think, in all, in all things, in, uh, in the moment-to-moment awareness, um, in the, the, and what is being pointed to, recognize, oh, there's suffering, there's a cessation of suffering, there's a beginning, there's an ending. Yeah. I don't know if the Buddha was like forever, like pay attention to the cessation of suffering forever, like you're never going to suffer again. I don't know if that was actually the Buddha's intention. I think that's some fucking idealized, you know, and I never want to suffer again. I don't know. 
But I do think that it's useful to recognize when we're not suffering. Oh, I'm not suffering right now. Like for the next week, like that's your intention. You know, that's my, uh, my hope for you, my homework for you. To just recognize, oh, I'm not suffering right now. Well, maybe it's pleasant, maybe it's not. You know, but just, oh, there's a cessation of suffering here. This isn't something that we can think our way into. So much of the teachings of the Dharma are experiential. You can read a thousand books, and if you haven't meditated, like really gotten into it, does you no good. Does you no good. You're just creating more thoughts. You know, instead of less experience. Um, Ajahn Pasana, one of my root teachers, who was in this same lineage, basically he like used his fingers when he said, he said, this much book study, this much study, this much practice, you know? Somebody, I, I, can't, I don't think it was me, I think it was somebody else asked him, you know, like, what, like about this, you know, study versus practice and we you know i come from a thai forest tradition right live in the forest learn from the forest learn from the trees learn from nature you know studying the dharma is useful the teachings you know but here in this country, and I think in the Western world, we have heads on top of our heads, right? We think about thinking, and then we get lost in the thought so often. And that the teaching of the Dharma is, is here. What uh, the Buddha calls uh, chitta, heart-mind. That's like learning something from the heart out or the heart up or the emotional body, as some people would call it. Yeah. So I'll open up. Thoughts, reflections, questions. Yeah, please, Phoenix. Hey there. Hey. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for the talk and the meditation. Um, the idea of like noticing when you're not suffering is very interesting to me. Um, and I, I'm not sure if I, I have a question, but I just, I've noticed that I, anytime I do that, uh, my brain seems to respond by showing me all the stuff that I should be suffering about. <laughs> um, it's it's weird. It's like 
you know, even when I'm being mindful and whatnot, uh, if I'm not aware of it and I'm just experiencing it, um, then, you know, it's, it's happening and I can kind of sustain it. But then the second I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice. Then my brain kind of goes into like, a, oh, what is it that we're forgetting? Like, there's something that we need to be doing. There's something you should be suffering about, damn it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I was wondering what you had to think about that. Yeah. I mean, I get what I know what you're what you're talking about experiencing. I don't know that I have a great insight for you other than just to be aware of that, to notice that when the mind pulls in that direction. So there's the moment of the cessation of suffering or the moment of kind of, you know, peace, ease, whatever it is, clarity, whatever, calm. And then there's the engagement of the mind and the analyzation in analyzing, right? The, what the experience is and that pulls you out of the experience or there's the judgment that kicks in. I mean, the traditional Buddhist phrase would be like, that's Mara, you know, rearing its ugly head and saying, don't forget about that you're a piece of shit. Yeah. I know it's like beautiful right now and you're totally in the zone. Don't forget. And um, to be able to see that just like everything else as just a passing phenomenon. And I, I think as I, one of the things that I've, I've been doing, maybe this will turn into a, a talk about judgment versus discernment. I was talking with somebody else not that long ago about, you know, seeing the difference between judgment and discernment. And when we're able to discern, oh, there's, you know, there's criticism in the mind or something like that. And then can we, can we still drop back into that wherever, wherever the mind was before? Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Phoenix. Yeah. And thank you. That makes a lot of sense. I think in, in you talking, I realized that there is a space before it hits me with all the the shoulds and whatnot that I am just acknowledging it, but I, I'm just like aware of the non-suffering and that the all that stuff kind of comes afterwards. So there is like a, a moment, even though it's like super small, but it does exist. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Mm. Rachel. I think, I feel like I read somewhere or maybe my uh, therapist told me that like our brains are hardwired to look for trouble, to look for danger, to look for problems to solve. Hmm. Um, and I feel like when I had kids, that that part of my brain just really um overachieved you know <laughs> like just went crazy and now that my kids are grown and they don't need to be um you know i'm not trying to keep them from running that running into the street mm. um i've been really aware of how uh, like phoenix was talking about like i can be totally like you know just appreciating like there is no drama happening right now and then my brain is like but wait like what and um but then hearing that that like that's just what our brains do to keep us safe like that's what like caveman brain does is like look for the next 
you know, dinosaur around the corner or whatever. That kind of helped. I don't know if that's if that's true, but if it it helps. Like, oh, okay. Not judging it or feeling like what's wrong with me because I can't because I'm constantly having these negative thoughts, but just like I'm having these negative thoughts because that's my mind's job is to like protect me. So just like, okay, you're doing your job again. I don't have to, I don't have to like attach to that. Right. I, I don't have to like jump on that. I don't know. But being a parent definitely made it worse, like mm-hmm. way worse. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely true. It's called negative bias. Uh, we have a negative bias. Uh, some neuro, some neuroscientist um, said that we have uh, uh, Velcro for negative events that stick, right? And Teflon for uh, positive events. So we we have a negative bias. This is from our. Do you guys ever see Crudes? Right, the Crudes. Remember the dad and the Crudes? He was like. You know, rock, you know, like get under. He was like, just that. That's, yeah, that's called neuroticism. We've we've labeled it now neuroticism, also known as anxiety. Please. But, you know, in that book that you talked about that I got on audio, Hardwired for Happiness. Yes. um, His thing is noting, um, like, if there's something shitty going on, think of a time where things went well that's right um and can you stay with that time yes. it's not getting rid of the shitty time right it's but noting when things went well mm-hmm. and i've been doing that mm-hmm. and it's been like great mm-hmm. you know and it's it's really hard to you know i have to read this into it but it's it's really like like so yeah yeah that's good and then just as far as the meditation tonight Great, and I, I, um, I forget what I was going to say, but, um, oh, uh, the other thing is, you know, I used to think I knew every, like, oh, you know, I know every, <laughs> I fucking, I know how to run my life, and, um, and then as I kept older, it's just more like, I don't really know anything, mm-hmm. and, you know, um, yeah, like, I shared, like, I thought this trip was going to happen, and I got canceled, and now this other thing, my brother's sick, maybe. I'm going home on Tuesday. Mm. And I just like, I handled the trip that I was like, so cool. Everybody's like, wow, you're so cool about this whole thing being handled. And I just know it was because now I can be totally in surface. It's just this weird thing. I think it's just because I've accepted that I don't really know a lot. Mm. I don't know anything. Mm. I mean, I know stuff, but I don't really know how it should be. How it should be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For sure. Thank you for saying that. Um, and yeah, you actually read my mind because that's where I was going is that the negative bias and this kind of Velcro Teflon dichotomy, uh, a, a wonderful neuropsychologist and Dharma teacher named Rick Hansen um, wrote a book called Hardwiring Happiness, which is about changing that lizard caveman brain. So Rachel, Hardwiring Happiness is the answer to all your problems. And um, not just you, but us all, 
you know, and that's ultimately what this, what this, because we've overemphasized it, thinking on top of thinking, there's no saber-toothed tigers, but, you know, and then being a parent, you know, there's this kind of, and why do we have so much anxiety in this, in this country, you know, because there's some existential fears, like the fear of nuclear annihilation, we just came through, there's the existential fears that are kind of driving us. So we need to end there. Uh, just so you know, I'm a licensed psychotherapist. I work from a Buddhist lens. And um, you could, if you're interested in either uh, meditation mentoring or psychotherapy, I'm happy to work with you. I also work specifically with trauma and um, using EMDR, which, and uh, doing it all within a lens of uh, kind of Buddhism, Buddhism or mindfulness. So jasonmurphymft.com, hashtag, I'm awesome. No, I, I don't know. I'm just playing. I'm trying to do that more. I don't know what I'm supposed to. And um, marketing or something. And then, you know, donation, uh, we all, we're, this is free, right? We don't charge at the door, uh, yet we do... Uh, ask for people to donate as a act of generosity and to help us sustain this practice for ourselves um, similar to when you go to the monastery you, you make a donation uh, and you can do that venmo or you can do that if you're online on the there's a link right there for uh, other things that are happening there's still uh, we have a seven day meditation retreat happening in joshua tree um, Pretty close, I think it's the middle or the end of next month. I don't remember exactly when it is. I think it's end of end of October. And um, come check it out. Againststream.com. See the different classes we have. Thank you for your time and attention. Those of you in the room, there's a bowl, and then next to the bowl, there's a Venmo link so you can uh, make it happen. We have merch. You know, sure, we just got some new shirts, uh, sweatshirts. Uh, I see Caveman over there is wearing one, um, and which I also have. I love that one. And, yeah, come back. See us again. May all the goodness of our practice be dedicated towards the freedom of suffering. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings see, recognize, and realize the cause of suffering and the end of suffering. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.